Welcome to a brand new episode of So Important, the Interview Podcast. Today, our guest is Mr. Chad Hermanson, who is helping athletes across the country develop what he calls the mental edge so that they have the tools necessary to meet the mental rigors of competing at a high level and on a sustained basis. Chad saw a gap in how we train our athletes and develop the mental edge program to help fill that gap. But there's more to the story here. Chad Hermanson is also a former first-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates, drafted 10th overall in baseball's 1995 amateur draft. A standout athlete, Chad was expected to fill the shoes of Pittsburgh icons such as Andy Van Slyke and even Barry Bonds. This was a lot of pressure, and while Chad excelled throughout his minor league career, he was never quite able to meet the expectations that were placed on his young shoulders. By 2004, he was no longer playing baseball and working as a scout for the Los Angeles Angels. Chad's story, though, is an inspirational one. And Chad was not the first and certainly won't be the last projected franchise savior who simply didn't pan out. What makes Chad's story compelling, however, is how he translated that experience into his current work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Chad, I want to welcome you to the show. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Hey, thanks for having me on, Monty. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Chad, what you heard from the introduction is great admiration for how you took your personal experience and translated that into truly meaningful life's work. And that, to me, says a lot about you right off the bat. So let's talk a bit about your personal experience in baseball first. A lot of us mortals don't ever have an experience like what you had. So it's going to be exciting to hear about that. But let's also talk about how that led you to what you're doing and how you've drawn on that experience and the work that you're doing today. Does that sound like yeah, a plan? Yeah, that sounds amazing. So I'm going to jump right into it, and I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that you remember the day that you were drafted like it was yesterday. I do. So I live in Henderson, Nevada. I grew up in Salt Lake City, moved to Henderson, Nevada when I was 11. Henderson is just right outside of Las Vegas. The reason I remember so well, for many different reasons, but the first thing that pops in my head, you wouldn't think is it wasn't getting drafted, but uh, my girlfriend at the time just happens to be my wife. <laughs> so I, I married my high school sweetheart and she was there from the time I, I've been with her since, heck, I was 15 years old and then been with her ever since then. And she was there for that experience. But yeah, back then, you know, you didn't have the MLB network, you know, showing the draft on, on TV and um, you had to really be a part of it and in it to pay attention and know what was going on. And so, yeah, I had family, friends over. There were TV cameras, crews from every station. I don't know. I I knew it was a big deal, but I also was like, hey, I just want to play pro ball. And it seems like everybody else made it a bigger deal than I thought it was as well. But it, it was a, certainly an experience I'd never forget. It's it was It's a mile from where my house is now. So it's the house that I lived in in high school is just down the street. Uh, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. The Pittsburgh Pirates were the only team that worked me out um, physically um, at, at my local high school before the draft. Ken Squeaky Parker had come in. He was one of the national cross-checkers. And Roy Smith was my scout. He was the, the area scout. Uh, so it seemed like they were kind of wanting to go the high school route, uh, get somebody that fit that mold. And as a, as a former scout that I did that for eight years, you know, you, you want players that can check boxes. And Ken Squeaky Parker said I checked a lot of boxes um, when I had private conversations with him and uh, what he looked for and wanted to see in an athlete. He Having a Vegas connection, he had been a big part of Matt Williams when Matt Williams was drafted by 
uh, by the Giants. And he had said that I reminded him a lot of Matt Williams in, in some certain aspects and character, different things like that. So obviously that was a great compliment. I took that to heart. And but yeah, drafted. I was 17 years old. Didn't, I knew what I was getting myself into in regards to going out and playing against really tough competition at such a young age. Just wanted to become a pro, you know, as quickly as possible. So that was that was what I did. Got out to Bradenton, Florida, where the Pirates play, and and started that journey. Uh, so you know, drafted as a shortstop, as many Pirate fans know. And and uh, I just remember the hot, long days in Florida in rookie ball. Uh, get up early in the morning, got you know, early morning practices, come in for lunch, you know, cool off for a little while, and then get right back out there in the afternoon in that Florida heat. It's just a different animal out there that you had to kind of get used to and, and make adjustments for. But yeah, that's how it all started. You know, 17 years old with my family, my girlfriend and my wife, <laughs> my wife turned into my wife. And it was, it was qu- uh, quite an interesting journey along that way. You had a pretty stellar minor league career. You had at least 20, 25 home runs every year, I believe. Yeah, that, that's kind of what set me apart from the the, the shortstop prospects you know, coming up in the in the mid '90s and late '90s was uh, my you know my hit and power tool. My defense in regards to throwing accuracy was way behind, probably a solid to above average arm on a scouting scale, um, but had very poor accuracy. I tried working on it. We tried fixing some things. Nothing really seemed to work. Uh, I do think it was a big mental hurdle and mental block for me. It got got to the point where it wasn't very fun for me, but I was I, I was still hitting. So I was able to, at a young age, still separate the defense from the offense. And then, of course, the story goes, I double A, I said, hey, I, I've had enough of this. I want to play center field. That's kind of where I truly feel I belong anyway and where I think I'll be the most successful. And they they said, okay, you know, next day I was out in center field and <clears throat> I did that for a few weeks. And then I think I spent the last three weeks or so um, with an experiment of trying to, well, if you can't play short, maybe we can try you at second. You know, the names Ryan Sandberg and Jeff Kent kept coming up. These are Hall of Fame players, you know, that you're getting compared to. And it just kind of always felt like I I don't belong in the infield. (laughs) This was, I guess, about double A, right? And here they were starting to talk about Ryan Sandberg and make comparisons on that level. Is this when you started to think there's a lot of expectations that are on me right now? Yeah, that's when it started to come. Um, You know, I'm 19 years old. I'm playing, you know, with guys that are three, four years older than me. I was cool with that in regards to skill and talent level. I, you know, the numbers speak for themselves on what what I was able to do and accomplish. Um, but from a mindset standpoint, I wasn't quite there. And, and everyone tells me like, "Hey, dude, you're not giving yourself enough credit <laughs> for how well you were able to to handle all this stuff and the expectations." But I also look at it too, like, well, I wasn't doing anything to get better, you know, in regards to mindset and having a way to a, a coach. You know, when we a lot of coaches just kind of work on the physical aspects of the game, um, maybe give you some life skill, you know, that you can kind of gravitate toward and use. It just didn't really sit with me in regards to, oh, this is kind of a life changing thing, or this is something I can take with and utilize my whole career. And so that kind of too led me to start thinking was maybe I need to work on my mindset and my game. Uh, so I started reading mental game of baseball. Um, eventually, got into heads up baseball. Um, and those things seem to work a little bit in regards to it gave me an awareness of, yeah, I, I got the skill to do this, but my mindset 
you know, I, I can definitely tell it's off. And so it, having an awareness is kind of the first part. The Pirates aren't exactly the Yankees. They can't take a young guy and kind of put him into the system and put him into the major leagues and just let him develop. E- everything is in a spotlight when you're a team like the Pirates from the fans' perspective. You have to rely on your farm system, right, when you're a low market team. And um, and, I, and I knew that too at a young age. And that's why I felt even when I got drafted, they're like, hey, we're a low market team. We, we rely on our draft to get our guys, you know, and you could, you could see that as you go up to, you know, I had a 19, 20, 21 year old brain um, that took that in and ma- made it really a big deal and, and put extra pressure on myself to succeed. Well, of course. And you had a coach who made a quite a comparison in your case, didn't he? Yeah. The next best pro- outfield prospect we've had since Barry Bonds, um, I think they envisioned a guy that was maybe a 2020 guy. 20 homers, 20 stolen bases, and with a career year, could be a 30-30 guy. You know, that's that's what Barry Bonds did every year. <laughs> you had a coach who said, oh, Chad Hermanson, he walks on water. Yeah, that was uh, after a rookie ball. My first two games, I went seven for eight. And my first two games had a, just a outstanding start with, a I think, a home run or two, a couple doubles, played some really good defense. And my manager's just like, wow, this kid's 17 years old and he's doing all this. I've seen a lot of players come through here. And again, I kind of laugh at that, but it's also like, wow, that's that's a big compliment to say that. And, and at the same time, unfair as well. But you, you, you let it roll off your sleeves, you know, and at the same time, um, I, I can understand from a fan's perspective in Pittsburgh, wow, this guy must be really, really good. And, and I had those numbers to back it up, but at the end of the story, you know, it, it didn't all match up. Well, I'll bet another day that you remember is the day you got the call. I spent two years in AAA in Nashville, um, had two really stellar seasons and, and was settled in in center field and uh, hit 60 homers in two years out there, was playing really well, uh, very confident in what I was doing growing up as a 20, 21-year-old and <clears throat> ready to roll. I've uh, never been so confident in my game. I uh, gave my call to the big leagues from Trent Jewett. Uh, September call-up, you know, I went up with uh, uh, Aramis Ramirez, who already had some time at that point. But, you know, the, the future was coming, right? Myself, Ramirez, Abraham Nunez, uh, Chris Benson was already there, Jimmy Anderson. Um, yeah, I was super excited. You know, get there, Three Rivers Stadium. You know, I'd never been to Pittsburgh before. So it, it was exciting. You know, I get to my locker. There's already media. Cameras are there already. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is interesting. And and one comment that kind of it it always I always remember this comment and it was one of the writers from the Pitts Post Gazette that had been there for a really long time, I think. And he said, uh, what took you so long to get here? I, I you know, I, I'm very cordial and talk to people, I'll talk to anybody, the reporters and all that stuff. And I was like, Okay, so this is what reporters are like. It's my first kind of taste of a negative vibe and negative energy. <laughs> I'm like, Well, what else do you want? So that was another piece, right? That was like, I guess there's people that thought I should have been up here earlier, you know, in which your mind, right? Your mind and your thoughts take that information in and then how do you react to it? And that's something I've always kind of thought about. So it's no secret that things didn't pan out. I don't I don't think we need to dwell on that and go year by year. What what I would love to hear is your perspective now when you think back on that about why things just didn't pan out. And I think that gets to some of the issues we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. 
to you. Yeah, no, it was, it, there's a lot of things that happened in between, um, you know, the, the story of the swing change, my second day, I wish I could have, if I was going to fail, fail the way that I felt like I would have gone with a hundred percent confidence at the plate. And so the swing changed ruined my confidence. It ruined my mindset and my approach. And I didn't trust myself enough to like, no, I, with what I'm doing, I can go out and be successful at the big leagues. The way I was thinking this information was given to me, no, you can't hit like that here. So you need to hit this way or else you're not going to be here very long. So what is the story of the swing? Well, you know, that my, and I, I don't bring up the names. It's not really important, but in 98, I just finished my first year in AAA, 20 years old, hit 28 homers, hit around 258, I think it was. Pretty good year. Had a lot of strikeouts, though, which as one does, right, when 20 years old in AAA. And my, my hitting coach, who was the hitting coach in the big leagues, said, hey, you need to work on cutting down your swing, which everyone tries to work on that. Um, your front arm's coming up too much. Uh, we, I'd like you to get more direct to the ball down and through it. You know, that might be able to help you do that. So I was like, great. So I, I went and worked on that the whole offseason, went to the fall league, had a great fall league, and then had my second year in AAA. I had my best year ever. Uh, 270, hit 32 homers, like just on fire, feeling really good. Uh, get back up to the big leagues, started doing some soft tossing work with this coach that told me this. The backstory of it is, you know, I had to change some mechanics to get me to where I wanted to be. So in order for me to hit down and through the ball, I over-exaggerated in practice of um, really back-spinning the ball, you know, which is a downward swing. So I exaggerated it. And so he saw this exaggeration in, in this practice um, of just tea and soft toss. And he's like, whoa, 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 what, what are we doing? And I'm just like, well, this is what you told me to do. And I've been doing this the whole year. And I in my mind, I'm like, well, what's the problem? <laughs> You know, so that's, that's where I was going. And so he's like, no, you, you have power. Like, and I probably was cutting down through the ball too much, but that's what I did to get me ready and prepared. Um, and he didn't see it that way. And so he wanted me to, to kind of start lifting the ball again, which, which I believe made me slower. Uh, it's a whole different approach, but it was his approach. It wasn't my approach. So that's, that's my biggest, I guess, regret. I didn't stick to my guns, but it's, that's really hard to do when you're 21 years old and your big league hitting coach is telling you, you have to do it this way or else you're not going to be here. Um, it's more of like, yes, sir, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. Here you were, I mean, a guy coming off a 30 home run minor league season, you'd think people would just say, let the guy do what he's going to do. See what kind of And that's the has. common sense of it, right? And so- and that's when, when I work with hitters now, like I, I don't change people's swings until I know they completely need an adjustment um, or they've gone over 20 with 15 strikeouts, you know, that they've, they've proven and shown that they, this is not working. And so that didn't happen. And so uh, Pittsburgh never got to see that player, what showed up in Nashville. They never got to see that player. And, and I played with, it was very low confidence. As you can imagine, that continues to that continued to snowball down, and then you fail, get sent back and forth from AAA to the big leagues, constantly feeling like you know you're trying to now figure it out, and you've lost that swing, and now you're trying to go back and find it, uh, and that's a tough thing to do, and it and it kind of buried me from a mindset standpoint, and taught me a lot about working with hitters now and the mindset of of hitters and players. You were a scout for a few yeah. years. 
So that gave you some insights into what kind of players to draft that maybe other people didn't have. Yeah. So I spent eight years with the Angels uh, scouting, uh, covered the Four Corners area that consisted of Vegas, uh, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona. And so I'd scout all the amateur players in that area and do interviews with high school coaches, you know, as, as a scout does, and or excuse me, high school players and college players. When you start having conversations with hitters and players and pitchers and all these guys, and, and you start to get a feel for how they communicate and how they talk about their game, um, how they show their confidence or lack thereof, I, I could start to see like, well, this guy doesn't believe in himself. That's more of a psychology piece. It's not as, it's not the five tools, right? That we're, we're grading and that we're scouting, but it's a piece uh, you would always know behind the scene, if you will, like I, you kind of get a feel for what's going on with their mindset and in realizing that they can, they can get better, you know, that it's not a fixed mindset where they're, oh, they're 18. They don't believe in themselves. That doesn't mean at 19, 20, that they're still not going to believe in themselves. They just need a plan, right? They need to know if they struggle with that, that they can actually go and talk to someone about that and start to kind of clean that up with their thinking and be willing to share and kind of be vulnerable um, with someone about that. So, Because when I was coming up and I was going through that, I, I buried it all. There weren't really the, the mental skills coaches that every team has now. Um, usually each team now has a couple, I think, per organization. That wasn't around, you know, when I played. So we, we just relied on mental toughness ourselves and trying to figure it out. So that sounds like a perfect segue to getting us to where you are now, because it's clearly you've thought about these things and you thought about how to develop what you call the mental edge program, where you're applying some of the principles that we've just been talking about. Yeah. So when I was, when I was scouting, I, I would always do hitting lessons in the off season and you, you know, I started to just kind of notice and observe, you know, the way their actions were, their body language, the way they were talking to themselves when they didn't do well. And then you could just see like kids need to work on this stuff, you know? And so I actually created a program that were, they were videos. They were, cause I was like, I'm still scouting. I was like, I'm not going to have time to, to talk to kids one-on-one. So I'll try to create some videos that they can just watch kind of like a YouTube channel. During my experiment with that, uh, I came to find out and, and talking to more parents that um, yeah, those videos are they're fine, they're great, but that might not relate exactly to what my kid's going through. So I, I came to find that it's it has to be one on one because they're going through a certain specific thing, and that that thing needs to be addressed. They can tell me what's up, you know, what's their hurdle, uh, where's their mindset at, and really my mental edge program is consisted of my experiences, uh, life coaching that I study. You know, obviously mentoring, EFT tapping, which is emotional freedom techniques tapping, which is a becoming more and more popular with helping in releasing anxieties of life. You know, and when it comes to athletes, it's performance anxiety. Do you work exclusively with athletes? It it is now turned into a range of people and, and that range is parents. I work with a couple parents that they didn't realize they were trying to live through their kid you know, and, and they're way overbearing. I call it, it's the term that I've learned from different psychologists I've spoken to is it's interference where the parents become interference for their child and they're not even realizing it. Um, For example, I just had a conversation with a 10 year old. I'm working with nine and 10 year olds. That's how young this goes. 
And the father had contacted me. He's like, hey, I, I heard you're working and doing um, helping kids with performance anxiety. My kid has this, is scared to death to fail. Can you help him? So absolutely. Let's start talking. Um, so I get on the phone with this 10-year-old. And as we start to converse, have a conversation, it's like, you know, kind of tell me what's going on. He starts to get very emotional and starts to break down. And as you can imagine, goes on to tell me, I'm scared to death to fail because of what my dad's going to do. And not like physically hurt me. Maybe it's verbally and feels like he's letting his father down, you know, in, in his, he's in his 10 year old little brain, right. Of, of how he's interpreting everything. And he doesn't know how to let go of that or release that. That's, and that was a conversation I had to have with, with dad, like, Hey man, you're, you're the interference. And so there was a lack of awareness there from the parent. And he's like, wow, I, I guess I didn't even realize that. So it, it's helped him realize this is too much for my kid. I, I can help and do my thing as a dad, but you know, where's the line to expecting this perfection from my little 10 year old. So with the parents, but even more with the kids, you get to see a change. You get to see a difference that you're making. The running joke in, within my family and my, my wife, because we have such a good relationship, she's like, maybe you were supposed to suck in the big leagues. You know, we're, we consider ourselves God-fearing people, uh, religious folks that love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and always about helping others. And so when you're in a position to help others and really see some quick results in regard and, and the re- quick results are in regards to more of the EFT tapping portion of it, even though it's a, it's called mental edge, it's really like a men- mental and emotional edge. I, I think that there's, there's definitely components of that because we all have our emotions that we go through as humans every day. And a lot of our emotions can be through trauma. You know, the tapping part portion of it helps with so many aspects of our life. Um, I call them mental bricks, mental hurdles, but it's also emotional bricks that we carry within ourselves. If, if we're composed and made of energy, um, we have these blocks in our, in our body that don't allow us to perform in life how we really want to. I think it's an extraordinary story. It would be very easy to be discouraged from your experiences, but you found a way to really turn that into a positive and build on it. Obviously, you gave it a lot of thought and you developed a program and you're helping people. And on that note, it, it took me years of, you know, I buried a lot of it. So, and there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes along with that. Um, anger, you know, disappointment, frustration, all these things that I had within myself. And I, it was my own personal work I had to do with my, with my coaches, you know? So I, I really believe everybody needs a coach to help walk you through things and can give you different perspectives, show you a different awareness um, and some just, just different set of eyes, right? Which is that perspective to help you work through that stuff. It, it's been really rewarding and gratifying working with kids, um, seeing results really qu- quite quickly. It's been fun. Well, I will put uh, links in the show notes. Probably the best thing to do is just email me if you want more information. Uh, my email is chad at legacysportsclubhouse.com. Thank you very much for being my guest today. This was a wonderful conversation. No, I absolutely. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care.